You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his Good morning. Thank you for your patience. Uh, we are, are very uh, blessed to be able to have Johnny, even though he's sick, uh, able to interpret for the deaf. From home, we have uh, uh, Terry with us here in person. We also have uh, Deaf online watching through Zoom because they weren't able uh, to be here in person. So we're grateful. Uh, thank you, Johnny, for, uh, for helping us out. Really appreciate that. Last week, uh, Hyacinth was, uh, uh, taught us a, a new song. Um, he said, sing it with me if you know it. And not very many of us knew it. And so uh, I've asked Hyacinth if he would to come and and uh, teach it to us. This song is called Holy Spirit, Be My Comforter. Very simple song, and we practiced it Wednesday night, so some of us know it. Others of you have received a recording of it, and we're able to practice it this week. I guess this is a song that um, is well-known in Nigeria. Is that right? Okay. Would you, would you lead it for us and teach it to us? Okay. Great. Thank you. It's not hard. Check inside their bulletin, sorry, program, you will see a copy of it. Holy Spirit, be my comfort. Holy Spirit, take working on that song, too, until we know it well. If it's good enough for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, it's good enough for us, right? 
Today is a special day, Father's Day, as, as Walt mentioned earlier, and uh, we are grateful to God for uh, men in our lives who were literally our fathers and raised us, or who were not literally our fathers, but blessed us and helped us to grow uh, to be the people that we are today. We're very grateful for them. Let's give God thanks uh, for them, and let's ask God to bless and encourage those of us who are fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers, adoptive fathers, or uh, sort of um, uh, surrogate fathers uh, to uh, people who, who need a, a, a male figure in their life. Thank you so much for the role you play if you're in any of those positions. Let's pray. God, our good Father, creator of heaven and earth and the giver of life, Lord, we thank you so much for being our good Father. And thank you, Lord, for our dads. Thank you for our grandpas, great-grandpas. Thank you for other men in our lives who have been faithful in loving us and helping us to grow to be the people that we are today. Lord, some of us do not have good dads in our lives, but we had other men, maybe teachers or coaches or, or uncles or someone else who stepped in and, and filled that role. Thank you. Some of us had excellent fathers, and we thank you, dear God, for blessing us through them. Lord, bless those of us who are dads uh, or who are uh, grandpas, great-grandpas, or who are just playing an important role in a young person's life. Uh, as a male figure to help them. We thank you for those roles, and we ask you to bless us in those roles, that we may be like you uh, and be a good, uh, good father and a good influence wherever uh, you call us to be. Dear God, we give you thanks, and we honor you today. We ask for your blessing on us as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Last year, in the springtime, when uh, my family was just getting our garden ready for planting, we had a young friend uh, over to our house, a seven-year-old boy, active and independent. He saw me tilling the garden, and he loves to work with his hands, and so he said, I want to try that. Well, the tiller's bigger than he was. And it was about twice as heavy, at least twice as heavy as him. But I said, okay, go for it. Give it a shot. So he did. He tried. This is a young man who likes to do everything himself. Uh, listening to instructions does not come easily for him. And so when he tried to run the tiller, I tried to explain how to do it. But no, he just wanted to do it. And so off he went. And sure enough, it tipped over. He tried to get it back up, but it was heavier than he was, right? Leverage was difficult. Uh, he, he tried it. I helped him get it back up. He tried it again. And it veered off to the right, and he couldn't keep it, you know, in the row. Well, I tried to help him get it back on, but no, he, he wanted to do it himself. Didn't want me to touch the, the handles. Well, we got it back in the right place, and he kept going a little more, and suddenly the engine shut off. I think it hit a rock or something, got stuck. And he couldn't figure out how to get started again. I just stood back and watched. <laughs> Until he asked for help. You know, that's, that's about all I could do when he wouldn't let me help him. I just stood off to the side until he decided, yeah, he actually did want help after all. Now, I admire this young man's tenacity. That's a good thing in his character. And I appreciate his natural independence. That's going to serve him well if it's uh, guided in the right direction over the course of his life. But that tiller was just too big and powerful for him. 
Yet he had to try everything he could think of to handle it by himself before he would accept help. And I wonder if sometimes maybe we do this with God in situations that are just too big for us to handle. Imagine a man in his early 30s. He's married, has three young children. Life is very busy. Kids are expensive to raise. He hits a rough time. He's laid off from work. Things kind of get scary financially. His wife is stressed with raising the kids and caring for her aging father. And over time, this man and his wife, both of them so strained, they sort of grow apart. Now, he finds a new job, but it's demanding. It's not his favorite kind of work. And when he comes home just worn out each day, his wife isn't really there for him because she's exhausted from taking care of the family. Well, eventually the man gets lonely, and so he throws himself into his work more and more, but that doesn't help at home. He takes up shooting down at the range. He meets some really great guys there, and that that helps a little. One day, he meets a really attractive woman who goes out of her way to spend time with him, and that seems to help a lot. But in the end, it ruins him. He's going to lose his marriage. He's going to lose his family, everything he's worked so hard for. Funny thing is, this man ran left, he ran right. He looked everywhere for companionship that that would be fulfilling, the companionship he needed. But he never really ran to God. I mean, he prayed once or twice, but when that didn't fix his problem right away, he, he kind of stopped asking God for help. Why do we human beings tend to run to everyone and everything except God? Imagine a single woman in her 50s. She watches her parents struggle financially in their retirement. And she promises herself that she will never have that problem. And so she works hard, long hours every day, pushing herself to her limits to earn and set aside as much as she can so that she will be able to retire comfortably. And she loves God. She really does. But she just doesn't have time to stop and worship Him on Sundays. Because there's a lot of work that can be done on Sunday. And really, that's what puts her ahead of the competition, is that she's doing this work on Sunday. She wears herself out, so much so that every few months she crashes and goes into depression for days because she's so exhausted. But as soon as she pulls out of it, what does she do? She checks her savings account. She checks her retirement accounts. She finds that well, the numbers there aren't big enough to make her really feel good about her retirement yet. She's not sure it'll be enough. And so off she goes again, racing to earn more and more because after all, she's not getting any younger. And I can't help but wonder how God feels as he watches her. If, he, if maybe he isn't standing there with his arms outstretched, trying to get her attention long enough to ask her, why do you insist on doing this all alone? Do you really think I, the creator of the universe, am not rich enough to provide for your retirement? Do you think I don't love you? 
But for her to receive God's help, she would have to repent of her addiction to financial security. For that man who was lonely to receive God's help, he would have to admit that he sinned by breaking his vow to his wife, that he's been pulling away from her too. He'd have to admit that he sinned by looking for what he needs everywhere except in God. Sometimes we're a lot like an independent seven-year-old who doesn't want help with the tiller. In this lesson series, we're learning about repentance, what it means, which is turning away from sin and coming to God, and how to do it. We looked last week at some steps involved in repentance. Today, our text is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 30. Chapter 30 dates to around 715 B.C. A little historical background behind our text today. Since about 930 B.C., Israel had been divided into two nations. Israel in the north, Judah, named after one of the tribes of Israel in the south. During the 700s B.C., the nation of Assyria, which was in modern-day Iraq, grew into a powerful empire. It was the superpower of that part of the world at that time. In the year 723, it conquered and eliminated the nation of Israel, the northern part. All that was left was the southern part, Judah, and its capital, Jerusalem, a few other cities. Judah's king, Hezekiah, a descendant of David and, as it turns out, an ancestor of Jesus, was in a tough spot. By 715 B.C., Assyria was threatening to attack Judah. Now, they'd already destroyed Israel just a few years earlier. Now they were threatening to attack Judah and also to attack Aram, north of Judah in modern-day Syria, and even Egypt in the south. And so several nations in that region worked on building an alliance with Egypt, the most powerful nation in that, that area, after Assyria. They worked on building an alliance to resist the Assyrians, and Hezekiah and his officials had to decide what to do. Should they join the alliance with Egypt? Should they surrender to Assyria? Should they try to resist mighty Assyria alone? Judah was not a large nation. It was a very small nation at this time. What should they do? Well, they decided to join their neighbor nations in reaching out to Egypt for help. Egypt was a pretty powerful nation at this time. They were in trouble, Judah was. What else could they do? But God was not pleased. And so he sent Judah a message through the prophet Isaiah. Let's read that message beginning in Isaiah 30 and verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes 
Everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels, to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt whose help is utterly useless. Therefore I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Okay, you know from the start that God's not happy when the first thing he says, verse 1, is woe. Woe, W-O-E, means trouble, hardship, problems, bad. Woe to the obstinate children, God says. God, who was a good father to Israel and Judah, was not happy with his children. Why not? Because they were carrying out plans that were their own, but not his. Specifically, they were forming an alliance but not by the guidance of God's Spirit. Verse 2 says they were going down to Egypt without first consulting God for guidance. They were looking for help, not from God, but from Pharaoh. Why do we do this? Why, when we're in trouble, do we tend to run to everyone except to God? God tells Judah, it won't work. Egypt will be useless. It will not be able to protect Judah from the Assyrians. The two cities in verse 4, Zoan and Hanes, were cities in Egypt. Judah had sent envoys there apparently to work out the details of an alliance with Egypt. But the alliance, God says, will do no good. In fact, it will only bring shame. Shame is mentioned three times. Once in verse 3, twice in verse 5. In verse 6, God speaks a prophecy about the animals of the Negev. The Negev is the desert area at the very southern end of Israel, between Israel and Egypt. It's, an, it's a dangerous area to travel through with lions and snakes. But these envoys to Egypt took donkeys and camels loaded with treasures for Egypt, and they braved the Negev in order to go to Egypt and persuade the Egyptians to help them. But God had a nickname for Egypt, Rahab the do-nothing. It's an ironic name. Rahab was the name of a great mythological sea dragon that people thought about in that part of the world at that time. Very powerful, very dangerous. You could imagine it living in the Nile River in Egypt or in the Mediterranean Sea, which Egypt you know, sits right against. It was, uh, Rahab was also a nickname for Egypt because Egypt had the Nile and the Mediterranean and because Egypt was powerful itself. It was a great sea dragon. But God could see that Egypt would not be able to rescue Judah from the Assyrians. And so to him, Egypt was nothing but a mighty sea dragon, powerless to help. A sea dragon that could do nothing. That was God's opinion of Egypt at this time. Now his opinion of Judah, verse 8. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. 
Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path. And stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. God's opinion of Judah. God's children are in trouble. The very existence of their nation is threatened by the enemy. But do they turn to God for help? No. God says in verse 9 that they're rebellious, deceitful, and they refuse to listen to the Lord's instruction. In fact, they even tell God's prophets, like Isaiah, not to see any more visions from God. We don't want to hear about those. Not to confront them with the Holy One of Israel. They don't want to hear from God. What do they want to hear? They want to hear pleasant things. Illusions. They prefer lies that make them feel good to God's truth. They reject God. They push Him away like a seven-year-old who wants to run the tiller by himself. But this tiller is too big for them. They want help on their terms. They want to hear what's pleasant rather than what God sees that they need. And so the Lord warns them in verses 12 and 13 that their sin of rejecting his message plus oppressing each other and preferring deception to truth is going to crash down on them suddenly in an instant. Everything they hope in is going to fall apart and God will not rescue them because they are pushing him away. If they keep refusing his help, soon it will be too late to receive it. There could come a time when that woman bent on getting rich before she retires will ruin her body and not be able to work anymore if she continues to refuse to go to God for help. And that man who looks for companionship in another woman instead of turning to God to help him reconcile with his wife, if he rejects God's help long enough, he will lose everything. The story of Israel and Judah is a lot like our story. For us, God saved us from sin through Jesus who died for us. God saved us from everything we trusted in, trusted in that was not worth trusting in. He gave us new life and real hope. For Israel, God saved them from slavery in Egypt in the time of Moses, roughly 700 years before Isaiah. Isaiah is about halfway between Moses and Jesus. God parted the water of the Red Sea that day, led Israel across it on dry ground, brought the waters back over the Egyptian army that was pursuing them, and he set his people free. But now, in Isaiah's time, God's people were going back to Egypt, begging the Egyptians to save them. Why were they going to the nation God had defeated instead of going straight to God? What do we do when we're in trouble? Do we turn back to all those things we used to trust in? Money, pleasure, companionship, status, 
security, all these things pass away. But our God who created the heavens and the earth endures forever. You can feel in Isaiah's writing how grieved God is that his people are rejecting him and turning back to Egypt instead when Egypt simply isn't going to be able to save them. But God could. So the Lord calls out to his people one more time, still with bad news, but now also with a word of hope. Verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. Verse 15 is the key verse for this lesson. If you like to underline or highlight in your Bible, underline or highlight verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. What will it take to save Judah from the mighty Assyrian Empire? All they need to do is to repent, turn back to God, and rest in Him. But they won't do it. It's so hard to trust God when you can see the enemy with your eyes, but you can't see God. All they need to do is to quietly trust God who rescued them from slavery in Egypt centuries ago. And saved them from one enemy after another ever since. And God would save them again. That would be their strength. But they wouldn't do it. Instead, they put their trust in three things. They put their trust in Egypt, verses 1 to 7. Talks about that. They put their trust in horses, verse 16. They think they'll be able to escape the Assyrians on swift horses, but the enemy will have swift horses too. And idols, verse 22, beautiful idols overlaid with silver and gold. Very likely, the people of Judah, not being very faithful to God, 
We're praying to these idols and begging them for help. But idols are not gods. They didn't create the heavens and the earth. They didn't save Israel from slavery in Egypt. And they can't hear Judah's prayers for rescue from the Assyrians. All Judah needs to do is to return to God. And we too need so desperately to repent of our sins. Especially those times when we've pushed God away and said, let me do it myself. We need to rest in him instead. Quietly trust him. Obey his commands. Find our strength in him. We get so busy sometimes trying to solve all our own problems. Wearing ourselves out to get financial security. Giving up our loved ones in the quest to find more fulfilling companionship. When all the time the Lord is stretching out his hands to us and pleading with us, relax, calm down. All your frantic efforts can't save you. Egypt can't save you. Your horses aren't fast enough to escape. Your idols can't hear your prayers. No seven-digit number in your bank account will be enough to make you feel secure. No human being can provide you the fulfilling companionship that you were created to find only in God. Nothing you can do can save you. So stop, God says. Rest in me. Trust me. In repentance and rest is your salvation. You cannot do this alone. And here's the good news. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to. Isaiah tells Judah in verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. God wants to be there for you. For the Lord is a God of justice. You think he doesn't know what the Assyrians are doing to you? Of course he knows. He knows that they're thinking about invading. He knows what will happen if they do. God wants justice for his people. So he will protect you if you will let him. In fact, Isaiah tells the people of Jerusalem in verse 19, how gracious God will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. The Lord has given you a hard time recently, Isaiah says in verse 20. But as soon as you turn to him, God will give you teachers to guide you so you will know how you should live as God's people and so you will know what to do to be rescued from your powerful enemies. And then you'll throw away those idols you trusted in and you'll never turn back to them again. God will save you. But you have to let him. You have to turn away from your sin and trust in him and in no one and nothing else. In repentance and rest is your salvation. We sang it ourselves a few minutes ago. Sing it with me again if, if you know it. Be with me, Lord, I cannot live without thee. say to God I cannot bear the loads of life unaided this is too big for me 
I need your strength to lean myself upon. God, help me. Help me. Rescue me. We're turning to God, pleading for his help when we sing that. And again, we sang, and I might need a little help with this one. Holy Spirit, be my comforter. Holy Spirit, take control. As I'm walking along the way, the road is so sing that song. Holy Spirit, take control. This tiller's too big and unwieldy for me. Hold on to it for me. Put your hands over mine. You take the steering wheel. You drive my life because I can't do it by myself. With these songs, we ask God to take the lead in our lives and to help us when we're scared, when we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, when we're lonely, when we're frustrated, when we're sick, we're tempted to look anywhere and everywhere for some kind of help. We say to ourselves, if I could just make a little more money, or I'd be so much happier with a different man or a different woman, or if we just protest enough and yell loudly enough, we'll fix all the problems in our government, or if I can just find the right doctor, I'll be healed. But if we're running anywhere and everywhere except for help except to God, we will probably not find the help we need because we're pushing away the one who can help and who wants to help. We need to slow down. Breathe, remember God, and come to him first. Come to God first, not last. He is a good father, and he loves to help his children. But we have to turn away from our sin, our self-centeredness, put him first in our lives, and let him help us. In repentance and rest, is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11, not chapter 10, like in the, the notes in the bulletin. So cross that off, write 11. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I think we have a hard time trusting God because we can't see him. But we can sure see all our troubles. But when we remember what Isaiah said, and especially when we remember Jesus, we remember that we can trust God. And find rest in him. In repentance and rest is your salvation. As it turned out, Judah's king Hezekiah listened to the prophet Isaiah. About 14 years later, in 701 BC, the Assyrians did invade Judah. In fact, they've left a record of that invasion in, in the archaeological remains of Assyria. We read about it there and in Scripture. They did invade Judah, and they nearly conquered it. They kind of they, they uh, captured everything except Jerusalem. 
But Hezekiah turned to God and prayed earnestly. And God worked a great miracle to rescue Judah. And the Assyrians went home with a broken and shamed army. The story is in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. The same God who saved Judah through a miracle that day. And who saved us through Jesus. Still saves us today. He is still worthy of our trust. We can trust him. If we will turn away from our sin. And seek him in repentance and rest is your salvation. May God bless you. Let's pray. God, our good Father, bless us with eyes that see you. That see what you have done in the past and what you are doing in our lives today. What you are doing in your church and in the world. So that we will find it easier to trust you. Lord, you know this is hard for us as physical beings that cannot see into the spiritual realm very well. This is difficult for us. But Lord, you have done so much for us and you strengthen us day by day. Lord, we cannot handle the difficulties of life alone. They are too big for us. And so we pray to you that you would help us. Be with us, Lord. Holy Spirit, take control. Help us, oh God. Thank you for calling us to be your people. Thank you for Jesus who trusted in you and who promised us rest as we come to you through him. Lord, grant us that rest. Teach us to turn away from our sin and to follow you in everything. We praise you, oh God, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.